Hello and welcome to Hell is for Hyphen. It's for April 2011. I am writer hyphen critic hyphen royal wedding Lee Zachariah and with me as always is... Hi there everybody. I'm a writer slash uh, director slash time machine operator uh, Paul Anthony <laughs> Nelson and with us today is a very special guest. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Ward, I'm writer slash critic slash um, editor of DVD Bits and the Real Bits slash marketing manager for Biff uh, slash I'm the killer in Scream 4. Nice. Nice work. Welcome. Welcome from uh, fair Queensland. Thank you. you. From. Yeah. Look, I, this is a really weird one to start with, but uh, we have a very strict thing where we have to start with the one I wrote at the top of the notepad. So hop... <laughs> Which Paul and I haven't seen. Brilliant. Oh, goody. Well, I think you made the right choice in not really? seeing it. It's pretty much as though someone sat there and went, do you know what? There's there's lots of movies about Christmas and it's, you know, elves and Christmas and presents and Santa. And the Easter Bunny doesn't have a film like that. And he should. So, mm. and he should be voiced by Russell Brand. And that's, that's the movie. Interesting yes. Now, the weird thing is it's written by a funny guy, a guy named Brian Lynch. Mm. Um, does any of that... The wisecracking humour come through in the film, or is it just really flattened out? It's really flat. Um, a lot of the humour revolves around the fact that it is Russell Brand, um, oh, okay. and he also has a cameo in person. Oh. So people go, "Oh, you know, two Russell Brands." Just in case you get confused. Exactly. In terms of Easter films, is it funnier than Passion of the Christ? <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, the pa- Passion of the Christ is probably fairly unintentionally funny. Mm. Um. Hop tries to be funny but it isn't so yes yes it just seems like james marsden trying really really hard to carry a sinking ship on his shoulders again yeah yeah Mm. pretty much that's a very painful mixed metaphor (laughs) (laughs) not as painful as watching hop i bet uh, what about how i ended this summer the uh russian feel-good film i felt like they just the the filmmakers had watched some of the farrelly brothers work Mm. um dumb and dumber in particular and thought what if one of these characters was the lead in a drama? <laughs> <laughs> My God, the stupidest protagonist I've ever seen in a film in a very long time. Mm. Like, But it seemed almost to be a comment. I don't know mm. if it was a comment on Russian modern Russian youth or what. It was like the guy, like it was the, the filmmakers, like it wasn't something they'd missed. But it is, it's baffling. You sit there and go, why is he doing that? Why, why is that happening? And I think that it stops you engaging with the film yeah. otherwise. Because otherwise you look at the scenery and it looks be- you know, as, as beautiful as that landscape can and, and you think about their isolation and, and how, you know, the situation that they're in and then, you know, he goes and does this crazy thing where you go, why? Yeah. Why? Um, you know, and he acts well playing this character that yeah, seems no, to have such mixed ball. motivation. Mm. But, yeah, I think it really detracts from the film as a whole. You know when you see a film and you you really, really like it except for like an actor or a location, you know, there'll just be one element that stands out. For me, like I loved how I ended this summer. I thought it had a great aesthetic. It was really, you know, fantastic setting. I really liked the way it moved along. But I didn't like, yeah, yeah, that, as you say, the motivation of the main character and the decisions he makes. So it's like, I like everything about the film except the vital crux of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, its essence. That's the only thing I didn't like. See, this is the problem. The the actions of the protagonist drive the movie. Mm. And when you can't buy any of the protagonist's mm. actions on any sort of a logical level, you stop engaging with the film. Exactly. But uh, I think the most contentious film of the month... I almost said munch, because I was looking at Sucker Punch, and I've just completely given away what we're going to talk about. Uh, yeah, 
Sucker Punch. Did uh, this has been dividing people right down? I don't want to say the middle, but sort of. It's definitely leading to one side. There's definitely more on one side than the other. There's the five, four or five out of ten crew, and there's the one out of ten crew. I think. I'm I'm the one out of ten crew. I struggled with this. I struggled to understand what we were watching, other than the fact that Zack Snyder, you know, very much likes to put women in situations that are incredibly unrealistic. While I was watching it, I was thinking about, you know, Inception being a dream within a dream, and I felt that Sucker Punch was a wet dream within a wet dream. <laughs> that each layer you went into was more outlandish, was more, you know, women wearing. If these are their fantasies, the things that they were wearing. I just I struggled with it. I struggled to put into words why I struggled with it. I really didn't like this film. Yeah, okay. I love I love wet dream within a wet dream. That's that is yeah. That's, that's blowing a, my mind a bit. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Love it. I'm more of the four out of ten crowd. Okay, I didn't like it, but it was the, I thought the visual design was mm-hmm. a knockout. That it looked amazing, um, and I, I, a lot of people have heard it bored by the action scenes. I actually quite like the action scenes, um, but. Everything that was going on kind of in between was what was wrong. I think it, it's, it's a film whose psychology is incredibly muddled. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to know what the hell it's saying um, or begins... It's like a film with ADHD. Like, it begins saying one thing and then hops trains onto another. It says things and then com- contradicts it in the next sentence. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think there was a point where my brain kind of just uh, reframed it as kind of a future camp classic. Like to me, it's like I could see this film becoming showgirls. In 10 years time. You know, it's like it's all these kind of doe-eyed, very serious kind of, you know, um, like in these ridiculous outfits, giving these ridiculous performances, saying ridiculous dialogue. But the thing is, I, I, a lot of people have been getting really angry about it. I think Zack Snyder is absolutely sincere. I think he thinks this is a female empowerment movie. It's just a fifteen-year-old boy's idea of female empowerment. It's it's incredibly immature, but I think it's also the the thing that rankles me about a lot of the people that have been really offended by this film is like I think it takes a lot of its cues from Asian cinema and anime, and it, it, I, I the first thing I said coming out of it was you know what if that film ended with the credit directed by Takashi Miike there'd be a certain amount of people falling over themselves to tell us how much what genius it is. I just find there's this incredible double standard going on. But having said that, no, it's 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 not a very good film. It makes absolutely no sense narratively or psychologically. Um, however, the one revelation in the film and the one reason I'm glad the film happened was I think that Abby Cornish is as natural an action hero as any female I've seen since Sigourney Weaver. Okay. Like, she has a huge future as an action hero if she wants it. But, um, yeah, other than that, there wasn't a lot to take out of it. What did you think, Lee? I was struggling a lot afterwards because I was hearing all these criticisms of it and I didn't agree with any of them. But there were a few people who loved it and I didn't agree with that. And I, yet I didn't think it was mediocre. And I thought, well, that's pretty much the spectrum covered. What what do I think of it? And it took me a day or two to realize that I think the film is brilliant. I just don't think it's that good. I think it's just, it's, and it's, it's, I, I think I can justify this. But I think um, Snyder, yeah, as you say, he's very sincere in what he's trying to say. And I think he's got a very strong message and it's a completely valid message. And on the other... You could make sense of the message? Uh, no, I just think he has a very strong <laughs> message. No, there were some things the story he was telling I was you know, totally on board with. And I think he's got an amazing visual style. I, I think it's like they're like two pieces of paper and he's used water to try and glue them together. There's a complete disconnect between that valid message and that amazing style and the film completely falls apart in the middle. I mean, I get that you, you think that it's not 
realistic, Sarah. That the but there is a scene where they're fighting uh, robotic zombie Nazis, and oh. I think if if you're struggling with the realism no. of that scene, yeah. then haven't you read anything about World War Two? Come on. <laughs> oh no, I com- I completely get that, but I just found that. I couldn't even connect to the fantasy level of it, that mm. even from the beginning. And, you know, he does this... Uh, and the opening montage, I think, works. You know, Snyder does have that way of starting a film that it does it does draw you in a bit. But from there, I just found it was so... And I hate to use the word contrived because, uh, of course, it, it is in, in the story that it's telling, mm. but I didn't find a way into it at all. I was kind of s- sitting there going, okay... So, all right, that's happened and now she's locked up and she's dancing and it, it just, I, I didn't find that point where it went, okay, this works, it, it engages, it, it, it's more than just watching women wearing, you know, very little um, fighting robots okay. on the screen. Okay, that's the other thing because everyone keeps talking about how titillating this mm. is. This is one of the most chaste films I've seen come out of Hollywood in a while. Like, we never see her dance. We do, well, we never true. see her dance, which is very clever, but because um, I think, you know, if, if he had to represent that on screen, it would have fallen down. Mm. Um, but they're really not that, I mean, aside from a sailor outfit, mm. and uh, which I think is more about the iconic imagery of creating, a, as you say, an anime-type look. Yeah. Um, Definitely a sailor. I don't, there's really not that much skin shown for a film set in a brothel about men oppressing women. And, you know, I think uh, the first thing I think of is Transformers, where, you know... Megan Fox repairing a car and it's basically pornography yeah. uh, and, and I think compared to that it's it's basically G-rated so I was I, I don't I really don't think he was he was trying to be exploitative or even unconsciously exploitative uh, and I think he did have something to say it might not have been about female empowerment but it was definitely about the male oppression of women and that's why I think you know that's the valid there is a valid message in there and I, I give him total props for having something to say even if the finished product didn't say it that well. So this is what t- tipped me off to the camp classic thing is you got the final credits and the villains are singing Love is the Drug. That was great. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> it's like, but I love that too because it was like on a total camp level because by this point I'm like, well, this is the fucking Rocky Horror Picture Show now. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Paul. Yes. No, no, no. What do you think of Paul? The movie. <laughs> I like me very much. Do you? Uh, How many stars do you give you? Uh, <laughs> three and a half. Um, I, I enjoyed the hell out of Paul. Um, it's look. I mean, it's a little bit geek baiting, sure. Um, it's Simon Pegg and Nick Frost writing this time, rather than Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. I definitely think it misses Edgar Wright's invention, um, mm. and a lot of Edgar Wright's energy. But with Greg Mottola as director, I think it's a film that very much knows what it is. You know, mm. it's a love letter to Steven Spielberg and to sci-fi, a geek cinema, but Spielberg in particular. I mean, it references ET and Close Encounters mm-hmm. more than anything. Um, it even references a few other Spielberg films at different times. It's, yeah, it, look, it's just a giant affectionate love letter with a lot of really great comic actors. And the film, and Greg Mottola directs it with a really kind of tight, no fuss kind of economy. And it's like, this is, you know, we're just here to have fun, guys. And we're not trying to be, we're not trying to say anything out of the box. We're not, I mean, you know, there's a few subversive, the script's got a few subversive kind of atheistic type mm. sort of themes going on there, which I kind of liked. But... Matola's direction didn't seem concerned with sort of dwelling on those sort of aspects. It was just, yeah, I, I just had a great deal of fun. And, and a lot of clever references, too, that, that seemed to kind of organically come well, out. Well, a of lot of references. Yeah. yeah. Two so, clever movies. 
So many references. Yeah. But I think you're right in that it is a lot of fun. Mm. Um, and I think that you're exa- you're exactly right that they, they do miss Edgar Wright in the mm. writing. Um, that otherwise it does seem, you know, it's expected. It is, you know, kind of meanders down that path where yeah. you think it will go if it's going to be a film filled with sci-fi references. But I thought the cast, they do have a lot of fun with it and they do lift it up. Mm. And, you know, probably pulls it out of that territory. Yeah. I, like, I think Matola's direction has got a little bit to do with that, though. I just think he really keeps it on track it just does lack that little bit of invention and edge I think mm. Lee? I, I didn't have nearly as much fun as you guys did I didn't dislike the film I just, yeah it was just kind of there it was really I found it a little lazy at times I think I think we have so much hinges on the fact that these guys are meeting an alien and I, I, I feel that they didn't really sell the feeling of oh my god it's an alien they just sort of went with it because that they know it's going to be on the poster um yeah, it was... I just never bought any of the reactions. It wasn't that funny. I'm getting a bit over geek references. Like, okay, they were playing the cantina music in the bar when they walk mm-hmm. in, and yeah. that's great. But, yeah. I, I just think there's a sincerity to it that a lot of these other geek-baiting properties have. Mm. Thor. Now, now, Paul, you're a big comic fan. Uh, I know you would have seen Thor opening day. What, what did you think? <sighs> What, what's that sign? By in? Odin's what? hammer. Uh, I've, I've, uh, by Odin's beard. I have not seen it. Yet. What? I'm shocked. I know, right? I'm pretending I... that you didn't tell me that before we started, <laughs> and I'm shocked. A <sighs> weekend, I've still not seen the Thunder God, and I'm spewing. Uh, what did you guys think of it? I liked Thor. I went in with really low expectations. Um, you know, Marvel films can be a bit hit and miss. I think that of late, I think Iron Man really boosted people's expectations. And after that, you know, I don't, I don't think anything's met it yet. But I think it worked. Lee, what did you think? I had so much fun with it. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I really didn't expect to enjoy it that much. I thought, you know, I'm going in, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm hoping it, it will be all right. And I just... And, you know, in, in this age of The Dark Knight, you expect a lot of these films to try and ground themselves in reality as much as possible and, and paste over the silly parts and just pretend that didn't really happen. But Thor just starts off and says, you know what, this is a big, silly space opera and we're going to bump up the silly to 11 and we're just going to own it and we're not embarrassed by it and you've just got to come along with it. And he's going, yeah, all right, cool, I'm on board. <laughs> You're just going to have fun, I'm there with you. So, yeah, I, I enjoy the hell out of it. Uh, Scream 4. Back with a vengeance. Uh, what do you think? Up front straight, I'll say this. I I loved Hayden Panettiere. She was my favourite thing about it. She's her. great in that, yeah. She was really, really great. Really kind of spunky and a bit of a sort of the kick in the bum series needed, I think. And it was nice to see the old three back together of Campbell and, and Arquette and Cox. I can imagine in theory it would have been nice to see them back together, but... In theory? David Arquette, why is... <laughs> There's one thing I didn't understand about him, and that's why he's in movies. <laughs> I Just a thought, minor detail. I always thought I liked him, but no, watching him with this, I was like, wow, you, wow, this is, um, I don't want to be rude, so I'm just going to stop there with wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I, other than that, I just felt the film just felt so stale and rote, and it just felt like the same old thing. Like, it's just like, I feel like, I like, the scares, no, well, the scares, the jumpy bits that are meant to scare you happen and it's just like yeah okay it's like I've seen this film before Sarah I think that's fair for me though I found it a bit more of 
an event film that you, that I did go in thinking that this is, you know, it's probably not going to be fantastic. It is going to be a film where you sit there and say, wow, look at all of the references um, to, every, you know, the other films, to the horror genre, um, you know. So I, I connected with it on that level that it has a lot of fun playing with the fact that it is 10 years after the last one and it's 15 years after the first film and the, and the murders in the first film. Um, I don't think beyond that, though, it, it, it pushes any boundaries that it does anything new with the mm. franchise. I don't think that the film needed to be made. It, there, was, there was no justification for why we needed this film. No, not at all. to keep Wes Craven's career on life support. I, I don't think it's nearly as clever as it thinks it is, no. which mm-hmm. kind of puts it on par with the other films. But um, <laughs> no, I think uh, I, I, I was thinking, you know, the, the dialogue's terrible, the characters are terrible. What is the point of this one? Mm-hmm. You know, d- don't just keep referencing what horror films always do. Give me a point. And it was only afterwards when I was describing the film and the things that happened, I went, oh, actually, that's quite clever. I could see what they were going for, even if I had to pick it apart to find that nugget of quality in there. So I really like what they think they were going for. Right. And that's <laughs> okay. a poster quote. <laughs> We really like what we think we're going for. Scream 4. <laughs> now, Paul, there was one you really wanted to give a shout-out yes. to last month that you forgot. Yes, thank you for this. Now, um, yeah, uh, we went through the reviews of March, and I realised after the podcast that I'd forgotten to review my favourite big-screen release of March, which was Kaboom, the Gregoraki film. Yep. Uh, have you guys seen this? Yes. No. I enjoyed the hell out of this. What? Um, I just thought... I, I described it um, as, as the uh, the sexiest fun you can have uh, with your clothes on. Um, it's 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 just it's such candy coloured apocalyptic. It's 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 like Donnie Darko on Happy Pills. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Yeah, it's such a blast, and it's such an infectious film that just it's eighty five minutes. It's just go to woe. Um, it's incredibly satirical. It's Genuinely sexy. It's just, it's just a blast. It's, a, it's a very, uh, it's got a lot of sex in it, doesn't? Because you just described it as infectious, and that gives me a whole different yeah. view of what you it may could be about. Need a shot afterwards. Okay. Wait, gotcha. what did you think, Sarah? I did think it was a lot of fun, but I don't think I enjoyed it as much as you did. Mm. It did remind me a lot of um, Araki's earlier work, like mm. Nowhere. Uh, if you take Mysterious Skin out of his body of work, mm. um, where you know something. Um, unexpected, outlandish, kind of unbelievable happens and they go down this path. And I think that... And everyone gets gradually drawn into it. Exactly, exactly. And I think that it is a lot of fun in going down that path that you need to just accept it for what's going on, not think too much about it and just go with it. Yeah. And like that it works. But I think if you... I found that if you try to think a bit more and invest any meaning to it, it it did fall apart. Mm. But you shouldn't do that. You should just accept it. I don't think it's a film made for that. No, I I don't think it is. I think it's a party film. Mm -hmm. It is just such a... I just, I just love a film with such a light, like, such an aggressive lightness of spirit. Mm-hmm. If you could possibly put that. Oh, definitely, it's, it's yeah. energetic and it's frenetic, mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah, no, it's and it's the perfect kind of midnight movie. And having said that, Cinema Nova in Carlton are showing it on Saturday nights uh, in their late shows, and so you Melbourneans should go, go check catch it. Out. it. I just think it's great that you know, even with his country in the midst of war, there's still work out there for an Iraqi filmmaker. Okay, cut. I thought I had you with that Can we one. cut this? Cut. Lay it in. Cut. <laughs> now, Miss Sarah Ward, who have you picked for your Hellas for Hyphenates Filmmaker of the Month? Danny Boyle. The great Scottish. Or Danny, Danny Boyle, Boyle, the pipes, the pipes are calling. That's the one. 
Actually, he's from Manchester. Mm-hmm. That's all right. I'll edit out the bit where I said he was Scottish. <laughs> That's the magic of post-production. <laughs> yes. So, you probably want to know why I chose Danny Ward. love to know we why. do, Ms. Ward. I think that across the course of, of his career, and why he's been making films for almost 20 years now, um, but made a relatively f- you know, small number for the fact that he's been doing it for 20 years. Um, I think he's a filmmaker that really gets film as a mass medium, that he makes film as entertainment. Um, he makes it across a number of different genres, um, but you know, he has his signature kind of trademarks that, that are across them, but he's not making art house films. He's not making films of a particular genre. He's just trying to entertain across a number you know, of different ways within that. I find that I found that really powerful that each of his films are different, but they all have that commonality and they all are mainstream entertainment, but not not packaged in the same derivative way that um, other, you know, mainstream entertainment is. I think this has been one of the more interesting directors picked purely because as much as I really love Danny Boyle, when you first said you were going to do him as a filmmaker, I thought, what's the common thread? I don't know what a Danny Boyle film looks like. I don't know, you know, you can watch a Scorsese film and instantly Mm -hmm. pick it and there are so many filmmakers like that but I don't know what a Danny Boyle film looks like and it wasn't until I revisited all of his films in preparation for today that I started to see these common threads Mm -hmm. and it's yeah it's it's completely different exactly that that is you know he'll make a um, you know I can't even put train spotting in a genre, mm. um, but you know he'll make a love story like a life less ordinary, and he'll make a zombie film, and he'll make a sci-fi film. And on the surface, they don't look like they have anything in common. And he's this filmmaker that is playing with genre, and he's not pigeonholing himself into one or the other. But you look at them all together, and there are these common traits among them that I think are really, really powerful. Um, but he still ha- does have that flexibility, and he is constantly challenging himself and just looking to make something that is is different, um, that kind of stretches him, but also entertains the masses rather than, you know, kind of the, the you know, the film elite or, mm. you know, yeah, I, I think that it's interesting. i got to say, if there's any director that he kept reminding me of, particularly revisiting his early films, it's actually the Coen brothers. Really funny you should say that because I've I've just read a book um, in the series of books where they get filmmakers to you know talk about themselves. Mm. Uh, it's not called Boyle and Boyle, but it's something yeah. along those lines. And the chapter of him talking about Shallow Grave—that's mm. exactly what he was trying to do. Yeah. That he was trying to make a British film with that. You know, he was trying to make Blood Simple. Yeah, mm. and that's that was exactly, exactly the kind of film it comes off at. Blood Simple. Exactly. It it really is um, pure and simple. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> And it works. Mm. And they had so little money. And they had this cast that at the time no one really knew. Carrie Fox was the star. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. she had, did Angel at my yeah, table. Exactly. Yeah. And you think about that now and it blows your mind. Mm. It's a great thriller. It's a really great calling card to say out the gate. He'd done a ton of TV beforehand, of course. Mm-hmm. And theatre before that, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But mm-hmm. yeah, to start with Shallow Grave, which is, you know, fantastic visual flourishes even without. How much money? Like he's really, yeah. he's a visual mm-hmm. storyteller. He's not just pointing the camera at an interesting script, which is what I think, you know, a lot of filmmakers with very little money would be tempted to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the thing with Boilers and the thing that reminds me the most of the Coens is that I think it's his 
personal takes on the genre. Mm-hmm. I think it's like yes. it's genres the way he sees them. Mm-hmm. It's like this is the genre film. This is the sci-fi film I've always wanted to make. This oh is, yep. This is the horror film I've always wanted to see. Mm-hmm. This is the thriller I've always wanted to do. This is the take on this novel. I, you know, and the Coens are very much in that way too. They'll, mm-hmm. As you say, Sarah, they'll they'll play with genre. They'll pick up a genre and apply their aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think Boyle does. And and but even his some of his shot selection in those early films. And there's a lot in Shallow Grave, you know, low dolly zooms and the, and the kind of the sort of rushing kind of shots, like very co- early Cohen-esque, like mm. straight out of your Raising Arizona. And, um, oh, definitely. And, but, and that, that ending of Shallow Grave without talking about what actually happens for people who haven't seen it, on paper I could see it being directed blandly or being expressed in a, in a fairly straightforward, okay, that was all right manner, but there are a few things he does that just... The order in which he chooses to show things and them, it's really hard to talk about something without talking about it. But mm-hmm. I think it's his direction that makes that ending such a cracker. Mm. Uh, and you come away remembering it as a great film. Yeah. I, uh, I have to say, I think it's dated a little bit. I yeah. think no, it does. I agree. It does feel a little slight. And he's hamstrung a little bit in the fact that his three main characters are all misanthropes. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to emotionally connect to any of them in a sort of a, a relatable way. Like you're kind of watching them, but you kind of sort of a little separate from them as well. And yeah. uh, having said that though, I I think it's a very entertaining and extremely clever movie. Oh definitely. And it's funny. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, it's hella funny. And that's one of the things that works so well for it because it, it really is a, a despicable storyline with despicable characters mm. that you sit there and go, Good God, I'm so glad I don't know anybody that's <laughs> like that. Mm. Or if you yeah. do know someone that's like that, you think you know, why do I know people that's like that? But yeah, they're it, not people you want to hang out no, with. No, they're the way, not. It's not like with Nil and I where you go mm. Yeah, I don't know anyone like that, but I would think I would like to hang out with guys mm-hmm. like that. No, you, no. you don't want to know these people, even from the outset where, you know, they're sat on a couch and they're torturing mm. these poor people that, you know, they're, they're just looking for somewhere to stay yeah. and they're being so mean about it. You just think from, yep, you know, these are horrible people, but it's funny in the way that he does present them that he's not expecting you to engage with them, but he's expecting you to engage with their reaction to what's happening mm. um, and that's what's driving it rather than necessarily, you know, one particular character. It, it is about the journey that, he ta- that happens and that's one of the things I find across Boyle's films that most of the other ones, they do have a relatable protagonist. Mm. Um, they're always male and that's one of the things that really struck me that because he does women really well. Mm. He doesn't do women as victims or as bystanders, mm. but mm. his protagonist is always male. And normally they are relatable and you can connect with them. But I think he, it is interesting in Shallow Grave that they are, you know, awful, awful people. Mm. But you are tied into what happens in this journey and, and you know, what happens to them at the end. You always and want to see them get their comeuppance. Oh, you do. You want you to do. see them pitted against each other and take each other mm. out in a way. You do. I think any list of top 10 films that define the 90s has got to include train spotting. Oh, oh, yeah. It couldn't not. Mm-hmm. It, you know, and for me, I'd, I'd probably put it at number one. It is that movie that you know, makes me think of, of, of that decade that it has, mm. and particularly British cinema. Mm. It was, you know, those two films kind of started to, I think, define British cinema at the time as something more than period dramas that were getting more of the the mass attention. Not to say that the, the other films weren't being made, but the the popular stuff that was putting people mm. you know, in cinemas were period films or um, rom coms because forties yeah. and funerals. Oh yes, yes, that's yeah. you know Hugh Hugh Grant, yeah. <laughs> but um, 
there's something about train spotting. It has an energy, and I think it's. We were talking about Shelley Grave dating. I don't think train spotting's dated at all. See, I felt it did a little bit. Did you? I felt. I thought the heroin stuff was really great, but I mm-hmm. thought there were other scenes in between that just felt a bit outrageous. It's of me. its time. It's a nice. It's you very know, much of its time. That like, doesn't. But yeah. I think it ages. Like I think like uh, like watching something like pop, I think Pulp Fiction has aged much better. Okay. I think, I, I think Pulp Fiction is much more classical, um, whereas um, I, I find that train, uh, Boyle does tend to be a director who's very much of the moment mm-hmm. and feeds on mm-hmm. the arsenal that's there at the time and what's current and what's new and what's mm. now. But you're right. It, it, it was a much needed shot in the arm for British cinema at the time, and um, and came. And I do absolutely agree with you guys. It does. It is one of the defining films of the '90s. But what you were saying before, Sarah, in the, in the uh, when you were introing Boyle, is how he made uh, films for the masses. Mm-hmm. And Irvin Welsh was saying that you know he had people who were coming to him wanting to make Train Spotting, and mm-hmm. they wanted to make it really dark and depressing. And you know, Boyle said, "No, I want to make it fun. Mm-hmm. It's you know people." take heroin for a reason and even if you're not glorifying it you want to show the reality of it mm-hmm. which is that it, it is fun for a while it is yeah. you know and so want to make this thing that people are actually going to come and see yeah. mm-hmm. and and that is and that that sort of i hadn't really thought about that with Boyle before but he makes films that you want to see regardless of of, of the genre um, and god he walks that line well yeah, he does. Morning. He, he never cries. You never feel for mm. a second it's glorifying. No, crap. you don't at no. all. Um, but you do. It is one of those films where you do understand why they're doing it. Mm. It's it's not just painting them as, as the victims or that they are, you know, that they've got a misguided lifestyle. It, it's not, you know, that kind of... And it's not glorifying them either. You understand what they get out of it. Mm. And then when you see them go through that journey, particularly the, the journeys of, of Renton and Sick Boy, that they are constantly trying to get off it. Mm. And then, you know, it's all too hard, so they get back on it. Yeah. You understand why that's happening. And it's not just, you know, um, kind of a constraint of the narrative to, to keep it going. It's, it, it's really believable and relatable that mm. that's what their journey is. And it doesn't sort of seek to to praise them or damn them. No, it's just it is what it is. No, it's, it's not. It's mm. not preaching. Yeah. It's it's not doing anything than telling their story. Now, if you picked Boyle, I imagine that you liked all, if not most, of his films. So, yep. sell me on a life less ordinary. I really like a life less well, ordinary. Well, sell me on a life less ordinary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a you know a pretty low starting it's, point. It's it's look. I liked it the first time I saw it. That was a long time ago, and I rewatched it. And went wow, this is uh, this is pretty terrible. Okay, I'm gonna. It's fun, but it's terrible. It's my favorite of his early work. Upon visiting it, yep, it is. I think it holds up the best. It's it's got that post pop, post Tarantino sensibility that has become more of the norm ten years on. I think it's I think it's a film that was ahead of its time. I, I like. I think it's that's ab- fine. With the whole angel, good. It's hilarious, and it's it does. I must admit, it it does misstep a little towards the end. But this is a point I'm going to come to later with Boyle. I I, I feel that most. I think almost all Boyle films are a scene or two away from being great. And this one, I just had so much fun. Holy Hunter is fantastic. Okay, I will pay that. Holy <laughs> um, Hunter is great in it. And. Uh, I loved Ewan and Cameron, and uh, it was Cameron before she turned orange. Um, <laughs> it's it's I adore this film, and but it's so slick. There's so many terrific actors in it, and there and I just think it I, I think it's got a real um, yeah sparkiness to it. And again, it, it has that sort of Tarantino Cohen feeling without feeling, but feeling very boil at the same time. 
the film is like I don't like any of the characters in it. They're all so horrible. None really? of yeah, none of their none of their actions are consistent with what happened in the scene before. I don't agree at all. And I don't if the whole film is hinging on we want these two people to get together, I don't really like I I would like them to get together under the wheels of a semi trailer. Uh <laughs> Wow. wow! I don't, okay. I don't, I don't care if they hook up. Like, why, why do I? She's a, a spoiled rich brat, and he gets fired, and then tries to shoot people. Spoiled rich brat that turns along. He only shoots people because he's desperate, and he's generally his character is incredibly consistent. Oh, gonna, no, uh, I don't. Oh man, no, I'm falls like, apart on I this don't one. Like either of them. Sarah, are you so? Are you somewhere in the middle? Or are no, you? I really like Life Lesson Ray. I think it is quite underrated. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, it, it, it. I think you've pretty much put my thoughts into, into words, so thank you for stealing them from my Oh, there's no worries. Um, I thought I'd just yeah, come it in just, and steal your thumb. For me, it worked. I do understand the, the criticism of it, but I watched it again recently, and I don't know, there is... One of the things I find about Boyle's films is that they do have this spirit and this energy that it doesn't matter, you know, as we've been saying, that he does make films across genre, but they always kind of have this... Um, all of them are upbeat, even if their subject matter isn't. His, his films are upbeat and, and well-meaning. He could be portraying the most, you know, horrible people in the world. It could be a film about zombies, but they are always upbeat and, and positive um, without spoiling any of them. And that's one of the things I think this is a really a celebration of mm. that. And I think that it's kind of that trait that I know we'll talk about Slumdog later, but it, it, that, that went into that, that for me, that was really the natural progression um, after... Um, you know that you could really pair those two films because they do have that same energy and that same feel to them, and they are both love stories. And I read that apparently after Boyle really uh, after that Boyle said after A Life Less Ordinary got panned that he wouldn't ever make a love story again, mm-hmm. and then obviously you know went on to do Slumdog and won Best Picture Oscar and felt validated for it. But I think that A Life Less Ordinary it does work. Some of the more whimsical, you know, as much as I loved Holly Hunter and I also thought Delroy Lindo was great and he's such an underused actor. Um, I'm not sure if the angel thing really worked, um, but then I don't think the love story by itself would have worked if it was this straight, Mm. you know, you wouldn't have understood why they were together. It wouldn't have worked, but I don't know, as a, as a package, and you mm. get to see you and sing, and any any yeah. film, you know, anyone that gets you into seeing is that's all right with me. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, no, no that's fun. all right. That's all right. I, just, I thought it was gorgeous, and it seemed the least. I don't know. I just its style didn't poke me in the eye mm. like some of his films. It just felt natural, part of the world. Really? Yeah. That was. It felt totally jarring for me. There's this hyperkinetic style he has that that works so well with something like Train Spotting, where mm. it's. It's uh, motivated by the heroin use and the hallucinations that come from that and so on. And then there are other times he uses it where it just seems like, okay, they're going to suddenly get into this dance sequence. And it's I, I just didn't but feel it. But it's a it. fanciful world. Like, you know, like you've got an heiress shooting apples off the head of her, you know, her butler. You've got a guy mm. running a novel about the, you know, the, the missing daughter of JFK and, and Marilyn Monroe. Like, it, it sets it up from minute one. Can I, can and, I, and the, you know, the whole heaven thing and angels. Like, it sets up as a fanciful world from the first bounce. That's fair enough. And I think the reaction that you guys had to it is the reaction I had the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. And just totally did a 180 wow. when I rewatched it. Because I'm, surpri- I'm surprised I liked it as much, if not slightly more, than when I first saw it. Because I really liked it at the time, too. And I thought... This is probably going to be the one I'm, I'm no, going I'd, to come back to and it's going to suck. I thought I the like, same as well. I thought that it will date and, yeah. it, and it won't work as well, but it did. Yeah. What about the beach? 
Tell me about the beer. <laughs> Tell me. Um, where, where are you guys on this? Because like, what what type of regard is it held in? I don't actually know don't, what the general consensus is. On I don't this. think it's 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 considered highly, um, and I think I share that opinion. Um, I really enjoyed the book before I'd seen the film, and I know that they spent some time trying to make um, the book into the movie. And at this point, you know, Boyle had made three films, and he, he was quite well known, even though A Lifeless Ordinary didn't do too well. So he had a bit of money behind him, and went about starting to make the beach, and had Ewan in mind. And then a studio came and said, you know, look, we've got this guy who was just in Titanic and um, DiCaprio got put in it. Can I just ask a question just quickly? In the book, I haven't mm-hmm. read the book, is the main character an American or is he... No, I, I haven't read the book for years and years, but I'm certain that that's one of the constraints that came about by right. casting DiCaprio, that he was in English. Well, the author is written by Alex Garland and, and he's English mm. and it's, you know, other than being in Thailand, it does have that sensibility about it. So I'm... 99% certain that's the case. Mm. But then, it's funny. The, the film itself, I don't know. For me, it didn't work. But there's so many reasons why. Like, I don't think the script translated. And they didn't get Garland to adapt it himself. Apparently, mm. he refused. It was John Hodge who had written the three previous films. Mm. And, you know, Boyle had had that relationship with him. Um, who translated it. You've obviously got... Um, you know, an American actor playing a character that was English. I think they brought a lot of that Americanness to it, though, because mm. like, that's what seeing the film like they seem to make a lot of his Americanness mm-hmm. and his impetuousness and his narcissism and that kind of. And that's why I naturally thought, well, the character in the book must have been American because mm-hmm. his Americanness is such a part of this. Um, so it's interesting that they've, they've but I thought, yeah, it didn't feel like an American actor trying to play a character who was clearly English. I really hope I'm not wrong about this now. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 I, I've heard that. Yep. I've heard yeah. that well. And I did try whenever they just, you know, for the sake of curiosity, whenever they say, oh, you Americans are always trying to do this and that, I changed it in my brain to, you English are always trying to do this and that, and it, and it worked. It was fine. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it, it lifts out pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, but look, I, I think it's got a lot of elements that are really good and yeah, they just don't, don't fit. Mm-hmm. It, it's, yeah, the beach... It's a really interesting one for Boyle because you can really see his style on mm-hmm. display and where, you know, he's really clear about where he wants to go with the type of film he, films he's making, but it just doesn't quite come together. See, this this was slightly a feel-good story for me because first time I saw it at the movies, I hated it. Okay. Loathed this film. To this, and then watching it the other night, I actually don't know why I was so strongly in opposition to it. I don't think it's great. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of... I think it goes off the rails in the final act. Mm-hmm. I think... I think the first two acts are fine. I have no problem with... I, I think DiCaprio's great. I think Tilda Swinton's great. I like the whole sort of idea behind the... You know, there's enough intrigue and the idea behind this kind of utopian society and the tragedy of moving the, you know, moving the sick guys into the, into the, the forest and mm-hmm. what have you. And, you know, the little love triangle going in between. Like, you know, it's a very kind of backpacker holiday sort of, you know, thing to do. Yeah. Um, I think when he goes out into the forest for a week and goes mad... For <laughs> no real discernible And the video reason. game sequence. Yeah, mm. it starts going through video game sequences and Apocalypse Now fantasies. I've got to say kudos to DiCaprio for going along with that after yeah. Titanic and mm. he's one of the biggest stars in the world and then he does that video game sequence. That's putting a lot of trust in your director. Yeah, I remember that was something that really rankled me at the time when I first yeah. saw it. Um, 
didn't bother me quite this much at this time, which must mean I'm must mean I'm mellowing with age. Let's hope. It's it's not a bad film. It's just not a good film, yeah, and okay. it should have been better. Yeah. Like when I was watching it again the other day, I was really sitting there thinking this really should have been a better film. Mm. There's there's so many elements of it that had changed, you know, from the source material or from what I think their original, what his original vision was it for. For it was that you can see why that didn't work, but there are also so many parts to it that really should have. You know, it does have his style and that look and that energy and the cast are great, but you put it all together and it doesn't work. Mm. Interestingly, it's his only genuine studio film. Mm. Mm. It's the only because you just think of Danny Boyle, you know, as you say, he's a maker of entertainment. Mm-hmm. So you think he's a studio guy. It's his only. All the other films have been independent and distributed by Fox mm-hmm. Searchlight. This was the only big 20th century Fox. That's thing, and he, he's, he's still he's based in the UK. Hamstrung. He hasn't gone to Hollywood that he still is making that type of film, even though, you know, these days he's making films with James Franco and, you know, that, mm. that are kind of do have that, um, I guess, star power. But you're right, they are all, you know, they're not studio movies. No. And I think there were, I think that's for a reason. Mm. And I think he found that out on the beach. I mean, clearly. But yeah, look, I, like, I've gone from thinking it's an awful film to it's an okay film. But yeah, the, okay. the, it's mainly in the final act. I think one of my favourite Boyle films came next after that. I think he surged right back with 28 Days Later. Oh, wow. Was yeah. that an agreement, wow? Or That'd be a good agreement. Oh, okay, good, good. Yeah. It's my favourite yeah. Boyle. Yeah, it's mine as well. And I love train spotting, but I remember the first time I saw 28 Days Later, like I can remember it almost shot by shot oh. in my head, how I reacted, how I felt at the end. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to see it on a big screen again about a month ago and I still had the same reaction. And I've seen it probably 20 or 30 times. Wow. Like It really is one of those films. I don't often watch um, films a lot, but it is one of those where I can watch it because mm. I, I still react to it. Yeah, wow is, is the word for it. <laughs> and it works because it's, it's about character, mm-hmm. the, you know, the characters. It's about what you do in the situation and you know how people react and you know humanity and you know it's about the characters and and he's got he makes london look so iconic he really takes his Mm -hmm. time with it he doesn't try to shoehorn zombies into a slasher movie structure you know the zombies are really not a huge part of it and uh and yeah a lot of people going on about how you know zombies aren't supposed to run they meant to lumber slowly it's really not room for one interpretation of it where they run that's the thing in this film, it totally makes sense. In Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, I understand mm. that argument. Mm. Because they're not dead in 28 Days yeah, Later. Yeah, yeah. They have a virus. A virus yeah, right. They have a rage virus. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they're going to be powered and pumped up. They're going to run after you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's it, it's totally appropriate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. it's I think it's ironclad in this case. Yeah, sure, Snyder's yeah, yeah. Dawn of the Dead has more to answer for. Um, but I also, watching it the other night, something else occurred to me. I think there's been very few more influential films of the last 10 years. Because mm. what is every low-budget filmmaker doing these days? A zombie digi-feature. Yeah. I was wondering... exactly yeah. what 28 Days yeah. Later is. Mm. And is, is that the one that kicked it off? That's yes. The, yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The one, then Shaun of the Dead, and then... Yeah, yeah, that was the one. Because zombie okay. films were dead before this. Mm-hmm. It even kicked off... Yeah, re-kicked off Romero again. And that's the thing. It's shot on video. It's, you know, low... Bu- it's maximising mm-hmm. your low-budget to, you know, simulate a zombie apocalypse. And it's what everyone, you know, from bloody Colin to, you know, is, is doing these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's incredibly influential in that way and incredibly clever. Mm. Um, and and a lot of people um, rankle at the whole third act with the whole, you know, military focus and all that sort of thing. But, like, that's the film's point. It's totally mm. consistent. It's with yeah. absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. consistent. Um, I think, yeah, this and... I mean, I know I do think Trainspotting has dated a bit, but I still think it's great. But I think... 
28 Days Later and Train Spotting are his two genuinely mm-hmm. yep. great films. Mm-hmm. Okay, going back to your Coen Brothers reference mm-hmm. before, if, mm. if you told me the Coen Brothers were going to go and remake Blood Simple for a family audience, <laughs> I would say that's, that's not a good idea. That's, I wouldn't do that. I don't think that's a good career move. But Shallow Grave for Families, with, with a kid as the main character? Yes. I, it works. It shouldn't. He even puts the money in the loft at one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. I was expecting him to start drilling holes everywhere. <laughs> but i got to say, no, I was a huge fan of Millions. I watched it for the first time recently, and I think it's, it's, it's odd that it's a film about faith, mm-hmm. and it's very hard to do that without sounding, you know, uh, preachy. You know, a lot of films that purport to be about faith are actually quite quite preachy and self-contradictory and, you know, tangle themselves up. But this is probably the best one I've seen in decades that really say, you know what, this kid has got faith and he's got it for a reason and here's what he does with it. Mm. And, yeah, no, I, was, I, I think it's a terrific film, quite underrated. Oh, definitely. I think it's, you know, it's sweet and it's charming and you're exactly right that it's not, it's not preachy, but it is something that all ages can engage with. And it has this real story and the way that he shoots the kids and the performances, particularly after the, the you know, the, the central boy, mm. you just go along with the story and watch this journey and it's all believable, you know, his world that he imagines, you know, so much of it is, is fantasy and, and his interactions with you know these saints that he's seeing that you know I guess are spurring on his actions. Um, no, I completely agree. I think it's lovely. Um, and you know, yeah. How how do you go from making the most influential zombie film of the last ten years to you know this sweet, charming um, film about faith? It's it's, it's some uh, dexterity. Yeah. But yeah, I, I and I did think it sort of tied itself in knots a little towards the end. But yeah, I thought it was absolutely mm-hmm. charming. There's a five minute sequence. I have to say, there's a four minute sequence in this film that I think Danny Boyle made especially for me. Which which film? Of it, course he did. It's the yeah. oh, he did. <laughs> it's the sequence. It's the sequence where the kid is explaining the robbery. You know when, it, when I, it's oh, like yep. where how mm-hmm. yep, how well, the money got oh, there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. shot. Like a Tony, it's well. First, it's a really clever heist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Really brilliantly devised heist. Tick, because I'm a sucker of heist movies. Mm-hmm. It's shot exactly in the Tony Scott style. Right. Yeah. Like even coloured and tinted in the same way. It's totally conscious. Tick, and it's scored by Muse. <laughs> it's hysteria, and mm-hmm. you know, and it's like he's made this for me. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I'm a massive Muse, Tony Scott, and heist film fan. Wow. Yeah. There you go. That is a great sequence, though. That is. It is, it is really, really great. But yeah, no, it's so entertaining. It's yeah. a great film. What, what were you saying before about um, uh, him making the version of each genre that is is that he sees, like, he sees horrors as being this sort of film, so mm. he makes that. that. That's exactly what I wanted to put into words about Sunshine, is that that's his science fiction film. Yeah. That's how he mm-hmm. thinks they should be. And that's this is this ranks as one of my favourites mm-hmm. of, of his... No, it's so oh, yeah. moody and I would probably you know if I picked three that would be the third of yeah, his yeah. films that I would pick as the ones that really stand out for me and one of the things I find about Boyle is you know obviously he made his first th- three films with Ewan McGregor and then he did The Beach with DiCaprio and then he you know kind of made two films either side of Millions with Cillian Murphy and the way that he directs him and the way that he comes across on screen you know he's not playing likeable characters again mm. you know they're, rela- they're relatable they're not the despicable characters from Shallow Grave but I think that he kind of has this grace about the way that particularly in Sunshine you see him um, you know kind of that character 
he he could have turned into such a horrible, you know, you really could he mm. could have been the villain of the piece, but instead he is the one that you relate to, that you connect with, that you see um, the film unravel through, and I think that's really quite elegant the way that he's done that. Well, he likes to see how people deal with adversity. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you don't know what someone is like until you put them in a really tough situation, oh. and that's shallow grave and train spotting, and it's, it's all of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, I'm just looking through, and yes, no, it is yeah. all of that's, them. That's right. one of the things I found across Absolutely. all of his films that they do have. You know, this struggle against adversity. A lot of the time, um, particularly in the ones that aren't more genre-based, so obviously not horror, not sci-fi, there's money involved mm-hmm. um, in some shape or form. Um, yeah, th- there's generally a kind of a twist of fate or that constraint where, you know, it wouldn't have happened otherwise, whether it is the more fanciful part of the angels in A Life Less Ordinary or the fact that, you know, the, the whole reasoning of the shallow grave story kind of going the way it does... Um, you the, know, saints, it, uh, the Saints in Millions. Exactly. Yeah. Even, you know, the virus in 28 mm. Days Later, in Sunshine, you know, them veering off course. Yeah, it, it kind of translates a, a, across all of his films. Mm. And yeah, that's where I think you see it gets, tend to see that pattern mm. that otherwise if you do just look at them individually, you think, no, Danny Boyle just, you know, he makes film different films each time. Yeah. But no, yeah, you can really see a pattern when mm. you look at them all at once. Yeah. Sunshine is so good for the first two acts, and I get, I think again it's one of these films that kind of goes a bit bonkers in the last, sells out a little bit in the third. I think it gets itself into a situation it can't quite write itself out of, um, but mm. it's mostly again it's it's a it's a Danny Boyle film like to me like Shallow Grave like Lifeless Ordinary like it's and like Millions it's almost great, um, but it's so enjoyable. I think his next film is. Possibly his most contentious, and yeah. I, th- I know you're not a fan, Paul. I don't without stealing your thunder, but I thought before we talk about Slumdog Millionaire, I'll just start quote Train Spotting. I don't rate that at all, despite the Academy Award. That means fuck all. It's a sympathy vote. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, I, I do love that scene that that comes from as well. Yeah. Quick scene from Train Spotting to mm-hmm. illustrate what I, I suspect you. I don't actually feel that strongly about mm-hmm. it. I was just watching Train Spotting and it made me laugh. No, yeah. Uh, no, look, I, I like I like Slumdog. I, I do like mm-hmm. it. I just uh, it's just very easy to react against when mm-hmm. they award him, you know, the top honor of his profession for that film. When you're saying, look, yeah. look at his body of mm-hmm. work, that film. Um, I think it's a nice film, but it doesn't quite. And I like what it's what it's trying to do about, um, you know, the sum of somebody's experiences leading up up to one moment which which is great but there's an incongruous mix of styles where it it's not quite uh, a fairy tale it's not quite reality in it. it sort of it can't quite figure out which where on the line it is and I think of all Boyle's films this is the one that really rubs its style in your face oh definitely and yeah. and it becomes distracting um, I find that there's narrative issues with this that don't like it's too like it, it there's too much telling you the end before you get like like it, it just makes so there's no real surprises. No oh, it's mm. not a film you can watch again and have any appreciation for that for. Like it mm. just slaps you in the face the moment you've seen it the first time and you watch it again. I found um, watching it that you know you just it's so obvious. You see every you know everything he's doing, every you know way that he's pulling you along. Um, that even if you enjoyed it the first time, I found and I, uh, the second time that I was kind of sitting there going, I like his energy. I do think it is in in your. Uh, a lot more in the in your face than it mm. normally is, but the narrative I don't think holds up mm. to a, a repeat viewing. 
No, and there's too many, like you're saying, like all of his films deal with some sort of coincidence. Mm-hmm. This is like a bunch of them bolted mm-hmm. together. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just too much. It's kind of like Big big Fish. It's just like, oh, it's, a, it's the bullshit story. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, I can't engage. I can't. Mm. Like, I, like, I think there's some great things about it. I really like Dev Patel. I really like that, you know, and it's it's certainly sweet and well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't really hang together for me. It's probably, it's my least favourite. No. Sure, sure. I think I'm with it. I liked it the first time. I really reacted to the energy, mm. um, but kind of thinking back on it, it is one that I like rather than love. Uh, 127 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's sort of another one I liked but didn't love. I feel my my big problem with it is that it's it, it pivots on a single event. I said this on the podcast the mm-hmm. other day. Um, it was it's just sort of one thing you're waiting to build up to and as, as accurate as the hallucinations might be to what happened to him, it, it just felt like a diversion to me. Um, but the but hallucinations are, they're another Boyle thing. All of his films have that, you know, if they're not hallucinations, there's a fantasy fantasy sequence or there is that diversion out of reality. Mm. So I, I did, like, I think that works as a Boyle thing, but probably sure, less, sure. less in the narrative, yeah. um, less in, you know, Aaron Ralston's story. But for me, um, 127 Hours, even though it looks like a Danny Boyle film that it has, you know, that style, I think it was more a James Franco film. Like, I think it was more grounded in his performance Mm. than in Boyle's direction. I think, though, it is a a real visual synthesis of everything Mm -hmm. he's ever done. Mm -hmm. Like, there's stylistic touches from Slumdog, there's stylistic touches from Trainspotting, there's stylistic touches from... It seems like a kind of a cliff notes to his entire visual approach. Um... And but I, I do agree with you, Sarah, that it is it it the soul is Franco. Mm-hmm. Franco is the film soul, and and is the re- main reason why it works. I do think again though, I think it's back to Boyle's usual form of it's a really really good film that could have been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Now that's the, at the time of recording. That's the most recent film he's made, but. He directed on the stage uh, Frankenstein from the National Theatre, which, because it was filmed, we were all able to see all the way over here in Australia. Uh, what did you guys think of it? Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. There's no other way to say it. It just blew me away. Um, you know, Boyle has a history in the theatre. You know, that's where he started, and then he moved to doing um, producing for the BBC, and at the same time directing. And, and apparently, the way that he got the job is, you know, he, he hadn't really produced before, but he said, "You hire me as a producer, and I'll direct for free." So you're basically getting two people, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for one wage. Um, and and he did, you know, kind of teleplays for them. You know, then he went into Inspector Morse, and and then he he got into film. And I think you can see that history in the theatre that he knows what he's doing with with Frankenstein. It's it's amazing mm. what he's done with the story, um, you know, the way that they've interpreted that and the way they've presented it. Um, it leaves you speechless when you walk out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was yeah. no, I was exactly I, that. I was speechless. Absolutely great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was. Uh, it is one of the best depictions of that story ever. And mm-hmm. and one thing they point out is that we're so used to the Boris Karloff version of that of the monster that doesn't talk and then hear his voice and hear what he's going through Mm -hmm. is just this extraordinary and it plays on i mean the adversity thing is certainly present the adversity theme of Boyle's work but it's more to do with i think faith Mm -hmm. and what is our role what what how does our humanity define us when we're not sure who our creator is and what our creator was thinking and it's uh, it's surprisingly in line with all these other films that are completely different stylistically. I think it's one of those. Fil- I think it's one of those texts, though. It's like a clothesline. You can mm-hmm. 
there's so many themes you can hang on it. Oh, mm. definitely. And it's and each theme is equally valid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's you know it's nature versus nurture. It's faith and your relationship with the creator. It's and trying to understand one's creator. Mm. And it's but it's you know it's it's also the role of you know society's impact on you know mm. the disenfranchised like, it's just it's so a great monster much. movie mm. yeah. With, with, it, yeah it is it's you know science versus faith yeah. it's yeah it's um it's you know what is the role of science in you know and, and where does science go too far and it's just, there's so many themes you can hang on it but I, I i almost think this is his best work best thing he's directed i mean it's just stunning and so mm. moving i mean and again is there of course he had Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, Johnny Lee Miller, one playing the creature, one playing Frankenstein, and then another, and then he did the production again with the roles reversed. And that's brilliant. Mm. I mean, it's it at the basic, you know, um, looking at it from a marketing perspective, that's absolutely <laughs> yeah. brilliant because yeah, yeah, yeah. you sell twice as many tickets. But it works. It's it's not just a constraint to get the audience in twice. Um, it's about creator and creator. It is, and and and, yeah. and the boundaries between them, and the fact that they're really not that different. Mm. Um, you know that they are two people searching for their place in the world and and trying to do something with their lot in life. Mm. It's just they do come from obviously two completely different places, and mm. and I think that when you see both versions, you can see you know um, you know one role and the other particularly clearly. Like you, uh, I found. So I saw the Cumberbatch version first yeah. uh, with him as the creature and then Johnny Lee Miller as the creature. And, and you can see kind of it, it's fluid that it comes across that the, the lines are blurred, that it's mm. not just one or the other. Mm. And I think part of that does come down to the prominence that the creature is given, which which is in line with the text. Yeah. But every other film version, it, it, it's always about, yeah, Boris Karloff, you know, bolts mm. in the neck type um, depiction. Much, much as I love that version, mm. it's, yep. it's great to see a different mm. take on it. Oh, definitely. And, yeah, I mean, I, like, I, I unfortunately didn't see the version with Cumberbatch as the creature okay. and, and Miller as the Doctor. But, God, I mean, the, the version with Miller as the creature just broke my heart. Mm-hmm. Mm. And his physicality was so amazing. Yep. It just gave me such a new respect for him mm-hmm. as an actor. Oh, definitely. Like, just, just phenomenal physical feat do that for yeah. two hours. They were both amazing in mm-hmm. that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly. Oh, that's that's the role that stands out across both of them. And yeah. after seeing Cumberbatch, I really went into the second one thinking, I don't see how Johnny Lee Miller can e- even come anywhere near what Cumberbatch did as mm. the creature. Like, I just didn't think it would be possible. And then he, w- he was up there. He, yeah. you know, really gave it his, his all and was fantastic. And obviously that's a testament to, to Boyle about how, you know, he's working with those actors mm. and, and, and getting them on the screen. And the, you know, the, the preamble that goes with the presentation where they do some of the behind yeah. scenes footage and stuff, watching that, you just then go, wow, you know, look at how they're kind of transforming that. And they're, you know, talking about their influences and their movements and the physicality. And yeah, it's, wow's the word for it. <laughs> do you think the theatre world have kind of scratching their heads going, where the hell's this guy been for 20 years? Like... Imagine if we'd had this guy working in the theatre for the mm. last two decades. Maybe. Watching the rest of the NT Live stuff, I think, yeah, it's actually all of that, you know, close to that quality. Mm. If not at that, there's some stuff like... I mean, there's, yeah, yeah, I've seen lots of great stuff there too, but this is my favourite. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So 
Well, thank you very much, Sarah, for coming on. Thank and you so much. It's, it's amazing. So you've just uh, really illustrated how it's one thing to really like a director's films, but when you actually look at them all at once, you see more than the sum of its parts. Oh, look, I found so much commonality among Boyle's films that it's crazy. Even the way that all of his films have, and Frankenstein does it as well, some sort of narration, mm. um, whether it is completely led by it or, or whether it's not and, um, just every time I look at them and what you were saying before Paul about the cliff notes thing each one of his films it does in its style reference back I found what Shallow Grave and then watch Train Spotting and in Shallow Grave they've got the bit with the baby crawling along mm. that Alex sing and that's you know in Train Spotting yeah, when yeah. Renton is and you can see each one it feels as though he has you know borrowed from that mm. and he's just adding along and, and it does work and, and when you do get somewhere you know sometimes it doesn't work seeing it all on screen like that in, like in Slumdog mm. Slug, Slumdog but yeah it's just yeah. I think that he's a really interesting filmmaker mm. um, I think interesting Absolutely. is the world the word for it if and I can you've say certainly given me a new appreciation for him and I'd always liked him so it's mm-hmm. thank you very much and oh, thank you for having me no, <laughs> thanks no so worries. much and uh, we'll see the rest of you next month yes uh, keep watching films everybody yeah.